What's up, team? Before we get started on this podcast, I want to mention that we are doing another LLMs in production. This is the third one, and you know how it goes when you iterate on something. It just keeps getting better. We've got some incredible speakers, all new speakers. I think there's only one or two that are coming back from a previous edition of the LLMs in production. There's just so much good stuff going on out there, and we want to highlight it. Go and sign up now. The link is in the description. Or you can go to home.mlops.community. Check it out. We're going to be talking about all different kinds of stuff, ranging from deploying open source models, regulatory aspects of LLMs, how to build economical LLM solutions, how to select prioritize LLM use cases, moats in building LLM solutions, how not to be a GPT wrapper, and engineering best practices in LLM solutions. Shout out to our main sponsor, Prosys, for making this all happen. We wouldn't be doing it without them. And I would love to see you there because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be playing some bad musical interludes in the breaks. I can guarantee that. I also can guarantee that the quality of talks you're going to get, you cannot find anywhere else on the internet. That's all. Enjoy this podcast. Our next panel is an awesome group. We have Misty from Jasper AI. We have Davis from Innovation Endeavors. We have Dina from Adobe Firefly and Artem, the CTO of Verdeen. And they're all coming together to chat about UX of LLM users. So without further ado, let's bring them up to the stage. Hello, Davis. Hello, Misty. Hello, Artem. And last but not least, Dina. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you, Lily. Uh, are we good to get started? Yep. Go ahead. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm the moderator for this panel today. Today, we're going to focus on UX and LLMs, which is a really interesting space. And so maybe to start, Misty, Artem, Dina, maybe we can go around quickly one by one, and you can each briefly introduce yourself and in particular, talk about some of the recent LLM features you've worked on and I'll dive into some more UX-specific questions from there. Misty, you want to go first? Yeah. So I'm Misty. I'm a product manager at Jasper. And Jasper is really focused on supercharging content marketers, especially, and content marketing teams with their content creation. So a feature that we recently rolled out, and I actually just got off of a, a webinar introducing it to customers, is Jasper Campaigns. So we've introduced that ability with just one set of context, with your selected brand voice, to create all of the assets that you need for a campaign instantly um, and be able to add anything really quickly with that. Um, so that's been a big thing that we've been really focused on at Jasper, that and just in general, making content creation as easy and seamless and not a headache for users as possible. Awesome. Artem, you want to go next? Sure. Thanks, Davis. I'm co-founder CTO uh, at Bardeen AI. Um, we're a platform for creating web web browser-based automations with a heavy use of AI across the board. So literally today, the launch that we did was uh, we launched our ChatGPT plugin. Um, and basically what it does, it's, it allows to uh, build automations using natural language. And this is kind of built on top of feature that we have inside the product, which we call Magic Box, where you just type what you want to do and we create an automation for you on the fly. 
Great. Hi, I'm Dina, a product manager at Adobe, working on Firefly. It's a family of uh, generative AI models for creatives. It does uh, text-to-image, uh, text-to-fonts. Um, I mean, it's, it's a model, it has its own website where you can, uh, you know, generate different pictures, but we also recently integrated Firefly into different flagship products at Adobe. So it's now powering things like Adobe Photoshop generative feel, it's on uh, Illustrator, uh, generative recolor, and then it's also on Adobe Express and hopefully more products. So. So yeah, excited to be on this panel. Uh, disclaimer, not a UX designer. Uh, so, you know, there are probably better people <laughs> to talk about UX design. So I'll try my best. And also, yeah, just representing mainly my experience working on this both inside, outside Adobe. So not representing any product, not talking about any product roadmap, just my own views. Awesome. Um, and so maybe to start, I thought it'd be good if we could each go one by one and talk about What's the single biggest UX challenge that you face in kind of building the product that you just described? And maybe you could talk through the different things you've tried and ultimately what you had to figure out in order to solve that UX piece of the product you've built. And so Misty, why don't we start with you on that? Yeah. So um, like I talked about at Jasper, we're really trying to solve, um, especially the content creation pain point for marketers. Um, and we are extending outside of that into more of the research and the ideation that happens before content and then more of the publishing and distribution that happens after. But just within that content creation piece, we're seeing, and I'm sure everyone is feeling this, the fatigue of so many tools coming out and so many different ways of using AI. And you can do anything from using chat to using like an extension like ARPRM to get a prompt. And so there's so many different paths. And I think everybody went through this phase of being so excited and enthusiastic to try anything and everything. And now people are starting to feel more and more of that fatigue. And so um, the big challenge that we have is, is continuing to, to try and deliver the most efficient, delightful way for people to solve those content creation problems while balancing that fatigue of oh, another new thing that I have to try. Um, and so, so that's something that, that we're always working on and always making sure that our, any new features that we do are really well validated with our existing customers and with the market in general to make sure that there's an appetite for it and that we're not just further contributing to that burnout of new features. Artem, what about you? Um, I think unpredictability and non-determinism of uh, LLMs uh, is a is a UX is that is definitely a challenge for users um, in terms of experience because you pretty much never know what you're going to get. Sometimes very simple things do not work, and then very sophisticated things work surprisingly well. I kind of want to echo what Mr. said in terms of fatigue and hype, uh, you know, around this. So I think at this point, users expect a thing that would work. And so for us, the challenge was to embed this new, amazing kind of capability that LLMs provide into the, into the flow of our product and make it seamless and make it so that it really makes user experience better, as opposed to just you're being there because everyone does that and because it's a cool thing to do. Um, so for us, the main challenge was to kind of, you know, design the experience around the fact that um, you know, LLMs are not perfect and come up with a modality, come up with a way that would 
that like basically almost make it that so users don't notice it, right? And if you think about it, a lot of amazing products early days had the same problem like Google, you know, with the very first versions, you almost never got your results right. And they even, but I think the way they solved it is with, with the UX. So when you search something, they drop you on the page with the results, but the search box is still on top. And so like naturally, if what you're looking for was not there, you would go and refine that search. And later as the product matured, they started doing a better job at it. So we're now when I'm starting to type, there are like five things at the drop down that I can click, but it's essentially the same thing. It's this kind of a play between, uh, you know, your model and your user where like they, they do this like sequence. And I think that the biggest challenge is how to make this sequence seamless. So it's like very natural to the human being who is in front of the computer using your product. And we may have just lost Dina for a second. And so maybe a quick follow-up on that. Can you talk through some of the core design patterns that you built out that kind of helped you solve that problem? So you, I think one thing you touched on, for example, is refinement workflows. You know, the LLM produces an initial response. You allow people to edit. What are different things you've tried to make that work and like any learnings on what worked well when you're doing that and what worked? For sure. Yeah. I think one thing that, I mean, we'll literally what Google is doing, right? So now when, like, if you go into our product and try to generate, you know, an automation from your description, we will kind of drop you into the preview mode and we still have that, that box on top. So users naturally kind of, you know, know it's like, oh, okay, this is not exactly what I, what I was looking for, but let me go and refine that. Um, the other thing I think is kind of like nudging users to give them the right idea of like how to formulate their query. So basically think of it as like a, a, a drop down with suggestions of like what might be uh, relevant. And I think it's the interesting challenge there is to kind of use existing like old school AI, things like recommender systems, collaborative filtering uh, to kind of find the right things to suggest to the user that they can go and further like use with an LLM. I mean, it's a fascinating thing because if you think about it the effort to go from like nothing to a 30 40 percent working prototype is virtually zero like you can in an afternoon you can get something that get like and then you post it on twitter you get excited you slap a waiting list on top and like you have your new startup but then you hit a this almost like a vertical wall of like you know if you want because that's not a product like, you know, if your product only works three out of 10 times, users are not happy with it. They don't care if it's new technology. So, and then to make this improvements further, then it becomes like really challenging. And you have to find this new way, like creative ways to, uh, to actually kind of overcome this and, you know, have other things help you help your users use the LLM in the right way. That makes a lot of sense. I think both of you touched a little bit on what I would describe as like the broader idea of interfaces, right? So natural language is obviously a more common interface with LMs in general. Even natural language, there's different ways to express it from chat to maybe just a one-shot language command. And then a lot of teams are actually moving away from language at all in LLMs and you try to abstract it behind, you know, a button. I'd be curious how you guys have thought about um, interfaces for LLM-based products and how you've learned or thought through, like what is the right interface for these different types of features? Maybe Misty, we can start with you. 
Yeah. And yeah, Artem, I can definitely relate to that. Like overnight, we have so many engineers all the time that will build a POC and we all get really excited. Like, wow, you could do that in a night. But yeah, then you hit that vertical cliff. So we uh, have kind of been all over the map in Jasper and have had a lot of internal debates and have done a lot of testing over whether the chat interface and like leaving it totally free form is better or um, we actually just this morning um, obscured our command bar, which our command bar was like a very loved, very cool thing where within a document editor, you had a bar where you could type in commands and generate outputs and uh, with one click, add them to your document. Um, and after a few months of use, we realized that it was clunky and it was in the way. So it's something that we're always evolving and iterating on. The uh, product I talked about at the beginning of this, Jasper Campaigns, that started off with a chat interface with just your typical bot interaction of tell me about what you're promoting, um, tell me about what your goals are and who's your target audience. And we, um, after some feedback, decided that that was even too difficult, that having to read and to write so much in order to get to that path of content generation was too cumbersome and therefore moved to more of that button interface. Um, so it is something that we are going to be evolving and changing every day. Like we took out the command bar this morning. Maybe we'll bring it back today. I don't know, but we will always get that feedback. And um, a lot of that feedback is coming through what we're seeing people actually use which we'll see by often what they're copying out of their outputs and taking someplace else. But yeah, always changing. Do you have any, I'm curious, given you've tested so many things, do you have any intuitive rubrics or rules for when you think, oh, this type of problem space, this type of feature lends itself more towards this type of interface? Or is one of your learnings that in a lot of these cases, you just need to test them all and see, and it's hard to know a priori what's going to be the best? Yeah, it's really hard to know what's going to work best in any situation. Something that we are seeing consistent, really positive feedback about right now is a tool we introduced a few weeks ago called Dynamic Templates. And a follow-up to that was something we've called Remix. So um, Dynamic Templates have given users the ability to just, in a freeform field, tell us exactly what you're trying to do. So like... I am an SEO specialist and I have some set of keywords that I'm trying to target and I'm trying to create Google ads. And then from that, we will dynamically generate a template where we have an input field for the keywords that you mentioned you want to give us. And we have an input field for more context. And then we will output the ads that you've asked us to output. And that has been something that was kind of a big bet because it was something where like, yeah, it takes a lot of upfront work, but people pretty consistently have loved it and have just found it to be really powerful. So that is something where we are taking that power and trying to implement that elsewhere in the app. Mm, interesting. Um, and so Dina, welcome back. Um, I think yeah, maybe, um, and so maybe we can go to you for a second. And I, I think I know one thing that we discussed a little bit over email before this call was that prompting was something that you guys have thought a lot about at Firefly and how do you help users know how to craft prompts, create prompts? How do you maybe avoid the need for them to do prompt engineering? Well, maybe we'd love to talk a little bit how you've thought about that at Firefly. And I think it relates to this question of interfaces. How often do you even want to expose a, a prompt at all to the user? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, 
being able to, the prompt is right now, right? Cause we do text to image. That's the main thing that you, you use to uh, generate the image of your, that you're imagining. So uh, most people, I mean, this is a pretty new technology. Like prompting is basically the new Google, right? Most people might not know how to prompt it properly. So if you look at some of the data, we're seeing like an expert, right? Somebody who has spent a lot of time perfecting their prompt engineering skills going to get so much better results like 90 percentile results versus somebody who just says give me a picture of a dog right you have to add much more details on top of that and i know we've been saying that prompt engineering in the future might go away you know it'll be much 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 easier to do prompt engineering but from what i'm seeing is that you really do need to put in a good prompt to get a good result so i think there are many ways to do it is you could out of fill a prompt so when you when you get a prompt you can essentially use eiml there to essentially predict what people want and you might have your own data to essentially have an idea so instead of typing the whole thing and having a whole sentence prompts you actually help the user and then i think what we do on the firefly website is that after prompting i think it's really good to have predefined styles so we have predefined styles it's essentially in a form way so you select your resolution you select is it going to be classical style do you want an anime style right maybe that's something you don't want to put into your prompt because it kind of like um takes up your space, right? So if you look at me, journey prompts are very long. They're like photorealistic, uh, 3D, extreme resolution, and then you keep adding V5, you think. So, so I think that eventually will go away. And this is something we're still working on. It's like, how do you make it very easy? Just put what you really want in the prompt and then maybe have some type of canvas, predefined styles, drop select, right? Combination of all these things to really help user to generate what they actually want. And then I also really like generating variations. So then you learn from these things and you can map it back and you make your prompt suggestion better. So I think we're still at the very early stage where I'm not sure what would be the right combination of tools, but I think as we keep learning, as we keep collecting these feedback, we'll, we'll have a better idea on, on how to really empower um, you know, users to generate what they want. Artem, I know you mentioned prompting earlier and both you also talked about like AI suggestions for prompts. I don't know if you guys also do like templatized prompt configurations, similar to what Dina's mentioning or some of the other things like that. I'm curious, any insights you've had on how to abstract or handle prompting from the user's perspective on your end, especially because you have a very, yeah, Bardina is a very complex task. I can create these ar ar arbitrary automations. So in some ways it's a more complex design space from a prompting uh, angle. Yeah, um, I think, uh... The, the the context is important here. So for instance, for the creating designing automations, we want to be we want to have as few restrictions as possible and then just let the user tell whatever they want. And like some users are very chatty and some users are very concise. And so we kind of compensate by just trying to do as much of heavy lifting as possible on our end. And just, you know, because again, the surface area to cover there is so big that it's like very hard to come up with something templated. Now, when it comes to kind of other aspects in the product, so again, we're an automation platform and we, well, if you want to say like, okay, I want to create some, let's say outreach workflows for myself. So the task here is much more defined here. I want to generate text. And I think what Dina said you know, makes a lot of sense. It's in our context as well, where you basically, there's a spectrum, like one spectrum is like, 
you just it's a box where you have to put your entire prompt yourself that the end of the spectrum is just one button or just like generate outreach email for me and i think what we have in the middle is that sort of a template or the kind of the drop down selection where we guide the user through like okay you're trying to create an outreach email now that we know the task we know the dimensions across which we need specialization or we need your input and so we let them pick those dimensions but then what we have at the end we have actually we have researchers who that we're basically constantly evaluating a lot of different prompts different combinations how to like call out the model how sensitive is the model to different changes that we make and we do like you know formal ev- evaluation so we mm-hmm. try to get a few kind of input points from the user but then what happens in the back end is we basically construct the prompt like construct the actual prompt that we want to send that on the fly so yeah i mean you know tldr just thinking about uxs at large is um you wouldn't fly a fighter jet with like a text message right like you need like the interface there is very kind of detailed overwhelming for someone who's not a specialist and um but but i mean at the same time you don't want to put like a fighter jet like you know co- like really really complex ui in front of in front of the, the the person so i think what we try to do is like as quickly as possible to try to figure out intent and then once we know the intent just have a kind of highly specialized highly kind of tuned something that would be like put user into a familiar place like because like users know how to click through with wizards like for 20 years they have been like primed to go through this like very classic ux and then i think you know the secret is that there is no magic bullet you have to kind of think about your domain and make something that that is familiar to the user but at the same time kind of leverages all the you know kind of magic behind the scenes that makes a lot of sense so maybe let's move on to the topic of accuracy and i think we all know that hallucinations are big issues with large language models and it's also hard to set user expectations around when will this be right and when might it be wrong and you need to check it So maybe Misty, we can start with you. Would love to get a sense of how you guys think about constraining the output of these models, making sure they're accurate, or helping users understand when it might be inaccurate and they're going to. Yeah. So that is something that again we're going to continue to improve on. But right now, the best way that we're ensuring accuracy with Jasper is with this toggle that we have in Jasper Chat. You can actually enable Google Search. So that is something that we're seeing a lot of users use when. They're not only wanting to creatively write content and generate content, but they're also wanting to have that fact checked against some resources mm-hmm. from the web. And we will even include in some prompts, or we'll see users include in some prompts to include URLs to the references. And those URLs, well, from what I've seen, for the most part, they are real URLs, but there are still cases of those hallucinations where it's like factcheck.com and and it's not um or sorry that probably is a real URL don't go to that but where it will be something made up um and so um we are still recommending that people fact check anything that is stated I mean we've even had like just as a workshop we've done like write the legal defense of robot marriage and like Jasper did an amazing job writing a legal defense and defending with 
all of these historical Supreme Court cases that obviously never happened. Um, so yeah, it will be something where we're continuing to, to add um, potentially like accuracy scores in the UI. That's not something that we have today, but but the capability is growing to be able to score accuracy and display that to a user. So something we'll be thinking about and implementing in the future. Mm. And maybe Dina would love to get your take on the same space. I mean, I think you have a more creative product. So maybe there's less issues about fact checking per se. At the same time, I assume you still may have issues with the model being probabilistic and maybe not doing exactly what I expect as a user. So have you guys had to deal with problems like that? And how have you approached it at Firefly? Yeah, definitely. That's a, it's a big problem, especially when you're generating images. It's it's about the, like, we do have on the web, the web UI, like, thumbs up, thumbs down, and we do ask a lot of feedback. So first is like, is that what you really actually wanted, right? That, that's the information we want. And then the accuracy, is this quality good? Because it's possibility, right? We'll generate something that's poor quality, that's, you know, corrupted. Also, it's also content moderation. I think that's a big part. And SFW, we want to make sure we're, we're keeping our users safe and not accidentally generating something that is not safe. And so we let them kind of report these issues and we save that. And with our, like when we're developing our foundation model, like it really relies on the data, like the causes of all of these inaccuracies, like goes back to the data. And so we have to improve our model based on these results or also improve based on the prompt side, based on the, you know, like the post generation side. So there's a lot of things we do to essentially ensure accuracy that it's safe. And I think it's going to be a big field going forward for LLMs because frankly, right, like we have to now do it yourself essentially. So, so very excited for, you know, different people to work on these NSFW filters, classifiers, models, gen AI content moderation type tools to sort of make that process easier because that's where the kind of like that's the last mile type problem that becomes really relevant when you go to production. Mm -hmm. And Arta, maybe would love to get your take on maybe two of the things Dina mentioned. So one is this trust and safety layer. Is that an issue for you guys that you've had to think about? And then number two, I think Dina brought up the idea of measuring performance and getting feedback and using that to improve the model over time. How do you guys think about what signals to collect and how to quantify performance over time? Just throwing in a quick two-minute warning. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, for sure it's an issue because, like, you would be surprised at things that people want to uh, automate. Um, you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know in, in, in terms of accuracy, I think we kind of, we knew it was going to be a challenge, so we kind of went overboard. So we basically designed a language, a DSL, a domain-specific language for defining automation that has in built properties that make it easy for us to verify the accuracy. And then we also, again, for us, it's we're not trying to take humans out of the loop. So for us, is the automation is like, we want to show that we want to, like human is the people are the best kind of verifiers of accuracy. And so we show it to them and say like, hey, is this your intent? And then along the way, like Dina was mentioning, we collect a lot of telemetry data, like thumbs up, thumbs down, how many attempts does it take them to get to the automation they want? Are they happy with it? How often do they use it afterwards? And then, of course, all this data we're feeding back to our kind of you know creation cycle. So we continuously keep improving on that. Mm, got it. That's interesting. Uh, and let's see. We may have one minute left. Maybe 
We can do a lightning round on one last question I do find interesting on the UX side. Latency and performance can be a huge deal for LLM applications that massively affect UX and iteration speed of the user. Maybe really quickly, we'd love to talk to each of you guys, maybe starting with Misty, then Dina, then Artem on, has it been an issue for you? And have you done anything interesting technically to improve latency? Yes, latency and error spikes have been an issue. So for more context, Jasper is an application layer that sits on top of these models. And so a lot of the time that latency and those error rates are sort of out of our control. And we have built data monitoring and reporting using Datadog. So we have really good insight into any time those spikes are happening, where wait times are becoming especially long or where error rates are becoming especially high. We're then able to post messages in the dashboard if there's something especially problematic, like, hey, Jasper's running into some snags. Please be patient. We're working on it. And then we are also, like, probably more importantly, we have implemented fallback strategies anywhere where that's been identified as an issue. So we're able to quickly switch over to a different model or different provider in order to hopefully deliver better performance and get people responses as often as possible and at the highest quality possible. Yeah, I would say we do with that everyday scaling. It's honestly a good problem to have when you're when your expectation was exceeded by so much that now you have to scale and change compute or like stop something to send compute there. So definitely a problem. But yeah, I think I'm excited to see, uh, especially on the serving side, how do you serve? But I think if you look at our website, our latency is pretty good because we've been serving these ML-based features on top of Photoshop and different products. So building on previous generation of, of architecture, but also like exploring new things to make it better. I mean, we kind of, there are some things where we can just use traditional boring solution to the latency, which is caching. Um, and so we, we heavily do that. So if like you wanted to create an automation, it's going to be, and you described it the same words as I, I don't need to run through LLM to get you. So we do that. Um, and then, uh, I think I'm super excited about small models, uh, because then we will be able to run them on the problem is like highly specialized, my smaller models that, that we can distribute. Uh, so are you, you know, are you running any models in the browser today or not yet? I know you're yes. a Chrome extension. Yes, we are. We are. We have a very intensive, like, it's amazingly, it, it's so good, but like, you don't, first you have, don't have to pay for it. <laughs> then it's so much faster. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I think we're probably a little over time. Um, I don't know if the moderator needs to come on, but thank you all so much for, uh, doing this. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Great chat. Bye. Thanks for having us. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Davis, Misty, Artem, Dina, especially Davis for guiding the conversation. It's not an easy feat with like a couple people. So that was awesome. Definitely. Um, yeah. All these talks will be recorded. And then we're also, I guess there were no slides for this one. So I will not be sharing slides, but thank you all so much for joining us. This was awesome. Well, all right. So long. Hi, this is Mihail Eric. I'm the founder of Pamatan Data Innovation and Confetti AI. And this is a quick public service announcement. If you're tired of having nightmares about the machine learning models you have in production, then I encourage you to subscribe to the MLOps community podcast. It's where all the cool MLOps kids hang out and learn how to tame their ML models.